Welcome back, friends, to the Health Ranger Show. We're continuing our show now on topics of extreme health or revolutionary health. And joining me in this segment and the next is a gentleman who is known as a master craftsperson of elixirs and alchemy. And he knows more about water, yes, just water, than almost anyone you've ever heard talk about this subject. His name is Daniel Vitalis. That's spelled V-I-T-A-L-I-S. You can find him online. Just search YouTube or Google the name Daniel Vitalis, and you'll learn a lot more about Daniel. Hey, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Mike. Now, what about water do people not know that you think they need to know? Well, I think uh, the big confusion with water is that we were raised in a solid-state physics paradigm where we, we really grew up being taught about solid matter, and we didn't really learn much about flow. And what's really interesting about water is water's unlike any other substance in that if you look at the planet, at the biological pressures and temperatures of life, you don't really find liquids. In fact, the only liquids that exist are either made by water-based life forms or are water or the liquid metal mercury. So really the only substances that have figured out how to survive in the liquid state, the liquid phase of matter, the only substances that have mastered flow are water, mercury or substances like alcohol or oil that are made by living things. Mm-hmm. Other than that, everything else is a solid or a gas. We were raised with all this information about solids and the way solids behave, and we didn't really learn about water. And we were raised with this idea that water is H2O. And uh, something I think that's really important is to, to understand that H2O is the skeletal structure of water. Uh-huh. But that's all it is. It's the frame that water hangs on, and water is made up of more than just H2O. H2O is the underpinning of water, but water is really made up of the other minerals, the ions, and the, the structure of those H2O molecules. And so the idea that we were raised with is that all water is the same, and it's just not true. And isn't it true that even at the molecular chemical level, that water molecules don't just exist in isolation, they're actually breaking and reforming bonds constantly, right? It's, at, it's at hyper speeds, in fact. So, you know, billions of times a second, the water molecules are doing that, but they can either do it in a chaotic way or in a really structured way. In a really structured way, in an ideal way, those, they'll link themselves up in hexagons, really similar to the shape of a honeycomb. So this is what's meant by hexagonal water. Yeah, hexagonal water means that those water molecules, when they keep bleeping in and out at high frequency speed, uh, joining up into structures, they're forming hexagons. And um, those hexagons, are the, that's the shape that's most recognized and accepted by your cells, or optimally accepted by your cells. And so most of the water people are drinking now is a really chaotic, disorganized water. In other words, those H2O molecules are not in a formation. Or we could say that they're not information. Ah, right, because structure is information. Information, right. So structure is information. And so the more structured our water is, the more information it contains and can transmit. So would you say people mostly are drinking dead water or sterile water or dumb water? <laughs> yeah, those are, yeah, those are all great ways to paint around the idea because it's really, we don't actually have a, words in our language yet to describe what water is. Um, and so words like dumb or dead really help us tune into what we're trying to say. We're talking about water that lacks intelligence, especially water if it's been broken down to the distillation level where it loses all of its structure and all of its intelligence or water that's been stored proper, improperly or poorly um, begins to lose its structure. People drink chaotic water, and within 15 to 20 minutes of drinking your water, that water's become your blood. Mm-hmm. It's literally your bloodstream. And so we have the opportunity to either make our, our blood out of highly structured informational water or out of really chaotic, disorganized, destructive kind of water. And so do you have a way to help people create more structure for existing water, or do you 
advise that they go just get spring water. So there's many, many approaches. The thing that's evolved out of it for me is that now I get all my water from springs. And so I seek out different springs around the country whenever I travel a lot. So just to say um, to the listeners, um, it's something that is possible if you travel a lot and I do it. I find springs wherever I go. I ask around. I bring bottles with me and I get my water from springs. You mean 100% of the water you drink comes from springs? 100. In the last three years... I've had one bottle of bottled water, stuck at an airport once, uh-huh. and I've drank out of two or three wells. So this is what I'd say, optimum situation, the very best of the best is spring water from the source. The next best option would be to drink out of an artesian well. Mm-hmm. That's a well that's drilled deep into rock, through bedrock, and into an aquifer. These are waters that are fossil waters that are in the ground from before pollution, from before industry, and from before um, any of the chaos that we've wreaked on the, ha- the surface of the planet. And so those fossil waters still contain the memory of the pristine earth. Today, a lot of people are drinking what's called spring water but it comes in plastic bottles. And, and just to say that that water, it's called spring water, but it doesn't have to be 100% spring water. The laws right. around that, I know where I live, I think it has to be up to 50% spring water, and the rest can be tap water, or I call or it tap fil- liquid. Yeah, tap liquid. Well, okay, so the water that people are drinking in, in bottled water products like Aquafina and Dasani, those mm-hmm. are Coke and Pepsi's products, that's just filtered tap water. And it's actually, in some of its, um, and if it is spring water, it's cooked. Uh, it comes out of the earth, and because of, um, you know, current paradigms around microbiology, they actually will heat and cook that water. And that's, you know, heat's the, the, the number one destructive thing to the structure of water. So that cooking process is what breaks down those hydrogen bonds that link that water into the st- informational structure that we're talking about. So if somebody feels that, that accessing a spring or a, a good well is not really realistic for them in the beginning, um, I think it's a better idea it would be to get either an RO, reverse osmosis, or a distilled water and restructure it rather than try to drink a plastic water mm. or water from a plastic bottle. What do you say about the work of Dr. Emoto, which has had a lot of publicity over the last couple of years about imprinting water with intention? I really believe water does pick up on intention. I also from a place of balance, we'll say, I don't think tap water that's really loved necessarily becomes that good for you. So there's some kind of balance between what's, you know, what's really realistic. The way that they're doing that, um, if you study and you look into how Emoto has done that work, you'll see that it's a valuable technology, but it's not the whole story. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they take 50 samples and they show you the best picture out of, the, out of those right. 50 samples. So I believe what they're doing works. However, I believe that optimally we've got to start with good water. And, um, that, you know, most ancient cultures had a belief that water should be put back into the ecosystem in the condition it was found. Uh-huh. So what I like most about Emoto's work is he brings that sacredness back to uh, our relationship with water. Is that, you know, that's what we need to reestablish. You know, we say in our culture, when there's a problem, it needs to be solved. Or we say we're looking for the solution mm-hmm. and solve and solution. Those are both words for water. And the problems that we're seeing are heat-based. So they're inflammation, they're global warming, the problems of the combustion engine. They're all heat-related. And so, you know, we're looking for the solution and the solvent. And it's been right under our noses the whole time. It's, it's water. It lies in water. I think a lot of people are finding themselves quite intrigued with just the information you've presented here so far. How can they get more of your work? Do you have a website where you have... Yeah, we're, we're launching a website now called elixircraft.com. So that's E-L-I-X-I-R-C-R-A-F-T. And uh, the idea of that is that, um, you know, the elixir through time has been the, the thing pursued by the alchemists of many different cultures. So not just the European alchemists, but also the Asiatic alchemists and the, um, the Arabian alchemists, all looking for the elixir of life or the substance that would prolong life and prolong health. 
Uh, so elixir craft is really the art of crafting and creating that. And uh, that really has to begin with, um, and that's always been considered a, it would be a drink. So all through history, when you read these alchemy texts, you know, they're talking about creating this liquid elixir. And so what I'm into right now is creating um, really high-quality foods, medicinal herbal kind of um, elixirs based off of high-quality spring water. The other thing that you can do is go to YouTube.com and just uh, in the search there put my name Daniel Vitalis in there. And we've got a lot of videos up there right now where I'm detailing a lot of the methods that I'm using for getting water, maintaining my water, uh, structuring water, and also um, quite a few recipes and ideas of how you can make really advanced liquid alchemical um, drinks and foods. So you have a lot of recipes. Um, yeah, really, and I'm into more, uh, I'd say less recipes and more into the art. You know, I see every recipe is like a painting and every ingredient is like a color. And so it's not so much a reproducible recipe, but more like each time, you know, I'm, I'm painting something and I'm showing people how they can paint like that as well. Mm, I love the way you say that. Uh, well, check out Daniel's work online, folks. His name, again, is Daniel Vitalis, with a V. And you can find him online. He's got videos on YouTube.com. Just search for Daniel Vitalis to learn some of his Elixir craft. His website as well, ElixirCraft.com. So check that out and stay with us here on the Health Ranger Show. We'll be right back after this break with more from Daniel Vitalis. Welcome back, friends, to the Health Ranger Show, where you are listening to an exclusive interview with Master Elixir Craftsman, Daniel Vitalis is his name, folks, and be sure to check him out online, and his website is elixircraft.com. That's spelled E-L-I-X-I-R, craft.com. In other words, there's no E's in that except right at the very beginning. E Elixir has an E at the beginning, and then that's it. Everything else is I-I. <laughs> it's a weird word for a lot of spells. Spelled wrong often. Yeah, so now that you focus so much on water then, does that become the foundation of these elixirs you make? And let's define it for the listeners. What do you mean by elixirs exactly? Okay, so, you know, and because like I said before, we really came from a solid state paradigm, solid state physics paradigm, and we didn't really learn flow. And so we have a saying, we build something from the ground up. The way my whole paradigm works and the whole... Um, diet plan or structure of what I'm doing, the strategy I'm doing works, is to build from the water up. And so the foundation of it is really good water. From there, what I'm into is, is resurrecting a lot of the ancient herbal techniques that have been used by our ancestors through time in order to create food, in order to create optimal food for us, and, and things that we've forgotten how to do because we literally handed over our, the control of our food supply. And, uh, and how that food was prepared. And so I'm resurrecting a lot of the ancient techniques such as infusions and decoctions and tincturing and macerations and in ways of treating the plant foods and superfoods that you're putting into your diet, um, ways of crafting them into drinks that, you know, I was really inspired by soy milk and, and rice milk when I was a kid. I drink a lot of that. I like texture uh -huh. of that, the way it tasted. And so I've been like creating that kind of a thing through different herbal techniques. So I create drinks that uh, act as whole meals in themselves that have all of the carbohydrate and protein and fat in addition to all the different antioxidants and phytonutrients that you're looking for, all in one kind of a liquid beverage so that you can move away from a real heavy kind of um, solid diet towards more liquid foods. Because I think we all know now that um, the less you eat, the longer you live, you know, and, and a low-calorie diet has been proven the only really reliable way to extend lifespan. So, you know, I, I'm somebody who really likes to eat. And so rather than trying to deprive myself of food, what I've done is moved towards a more liquid kind of a diet, which is actually what our ancestors did um, and is why we have things in our culture like coffee or hot chocolate or eggnog or all these kind of different things that, you know, all different cultures through time in, in India, it's chai. 
Everybody drank drinks all through time. They drank elixirs. I agree with you that I'm not really interested in calorie restriction as my lifestyle. I like to eat too. Yeah, I really like to eat. And so what, you know, what it occurred to me was that it's not the amount of food as much as it's the amount of work that goes into processing that food. So if you can still have a, a fairly uh, substantial amount of calories without having to break down so much fiber, uh, I think that's really nice. And so you know, one of the main techniques I work is, is something called a maceration, or sometimes we call it making a nut milk. And so what I'll do is I'll blend down nuts. You know, nuts are kind of known to be difficult to digest. So what I'll do is I'll take my spring water. I'll turn that sometimes into a tea. And I'll take that tea or that spring water and I'll blend in all the different nuts that I want to use and then strain those right out and take all those difficult to digest fibers right out of the drink. Mm -hmm. Then you get uh, a drink that digests really easily and uh, you know doesn't have all those problems that you have associated with nuts. So anyway, I take that nut milk and from there I start to blend in the different superfood ingredients until I've really crafted like a really well-rounded recipe. And I got lots of, like I said, videos on YouTube. If you want to see some of what I'm talking about, um, look me up there and uh, take a look at some of what I'm doing. And and there's some things on there that are real simple, and, uh, and I can take uh, people also into more complex areas of um, advanced liquid herbal alchemy as well. This is a really vital time in history for us because this is our moment to really reawaken you know, these kind of techniques and things before they're really actually lost. I mean, we're actually st kind of standing on a precipice. We stand the chance to lose everything our ancestors have cultivated, all the techniques that they've cultivated. Um, if we look through time, we see that um, it's even come to the level of persecution. Um, you know, the witch hunts and things like that, which are really the persecution of herbalists. This isn't yeah. something new. This has been going on a long time. Um, what my mission is, is to really bring those techniques back and to give them back to the people because, um, you know, that's what we need if we're going to really survive through the kind of situation we've cultivated on this planet in the last 150 years. Very well said. I don't know how much you or the, the listeners believe in past lives or any of that, but much of what you say and the energy that you bring to the interview reminds me of maybe the ancient warriors of feudal Japan or Asia. And there were some people who stood up for the village, who protected the village. And you strike me as that kind of person. You know, each one of us, ha ha this is a, t a time where we can live a very robotic plain existence or we can embody archetypes again. You know, we're here at this event with David Wolf, and he talks a lot about becoming a superhero. And so I've thought a lot about that and meditated on that. The idea of a superhero is really about embodying an archetype. And so what you get is, you know, if you look at superhero mythology in our modern culture, you get like Batman. He embodies the archetype of the bat or Superman. He's a man with superpowers or Catwoman. She embodies the archetype of the cat. And then there's, you know, there's deeper, more long-lasting, not-so-cultural sort of archetypes like the warrior mystic that you find in every culture. And so that's something I've chosen to embody, which is the idea of the warrior who strengthens himself in order to protect and serve, but also combined with the idea of the mystic who cultivates his energy or his chi to work towards greater enlightenment in service to those around him. And, you know, this is a time where the people who are called to do that need to step up to the plate and really begin to serve those around us because people are being lost in the sort of the fray of our modern culture's ignorance around, you know, even how to basically prepare their own food. You know, I'm, sh I'm shocked with water because we're, we're at a time now where we're actually down to the very last of our fresh water. And what do we do with it except fill toilets and go to the bathroom in it and flush it away? I mean, mm -hmm. it's preposterous. Yeah, that fossil water is being used to grow the crops that will not last another generation in many places. Precisely. We're, we're down to the very last of our resource without any plan for sustainability. And so those of us who have consciousness around this, you know, for much of my life, I, as I spent studying this, um, I hadn't really stepped into the public arena to share this. And now for me, it's really just time. And I know it's time for a lot of us because um, we don't really have a lot of option. Yeah, this is an important point that I'd like the listeners to understand, 
that your name is not yet very well known. I mean, you have been studying and learning intensely in a very private way for well over a decade, studying this material, perfecting your knowledge, and really only recently that you've begun to start coming out into the public and sharing that information with others. This is actually a very rare opportunity. Um, it, you know, growing up and studying this stuff, what I saw is a lot of people getting involved in the health food kind of culture would read a couple of books, have a really profound experience, and instantly become public speakers or instantly mm -hmm. write books of their own. And uh, I really did not want to do that. And what I wanted to do was make sure that I had something solid to bring forth. And so, um, you, know, you know, that's where I'm at now. I'm ready and learned a lot. I'm really here on behalf of the water of the planet, speaking on behalf of the water of the planet, because, you know, to me, it's funny, there's, you know, we could talk about, is water conscious? Is water a living thing? I mean, you are water, and you are a living thing, and you are conscious because of water. We are all made out of the same water. And so, um, you know, I'm here to speak on behalf of that water, or that substrate, that substance that we're all made out of, because what being desecrates the very thing it's made of? Yes. Isn't it interesting, too, that even in the search for life everywhere in the universe by Western scientists, NASA. It is really the search for water. That's what they're looking it's for. It's true, it's true. And you know, now they're finding it. And what's interesting is they're finding that there's water's an integral part of the birth of suns. You know, there's water in the sun, there's water yes. in the nebula, there's water in interstellar space. Water's the first substance, and that seems a little strange at first because of our way of looking at things, but um, the alchemists knew this. And you know, and we live on a planet that's sixty percent oxygen, and our sun is eighty to seventy to eighty percent hydrogen. And when that hydrogen blasts out on the solar wind and combines with the oxygen of our planet, it produces water. That water rides along our magnetosphere and deposits itself at the poles. You know, and, and water is actually raining down on us from outer space. Water is really, it's not just the matrix of life on this planet, it's the matrix of the universe. That's well, where it all came from. In order for us to truly turn our sights towards space, we need to first, you know, heal and prepare ourselves to live here. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up with this idea, you know, as a kid growing up in the 80s and the 90s, it was like, we're all going to get on ships and leave this planet when we've desecrated it to the <laughs> end. And, you know, see how the ridiculousness of that, you know, we need to learn how to live on this planet before we're going to get anywhere off of this planet. Well, if you look at this planet from outer space, if you were an alien visiting this solar system and you, and you looked at this planet, you would call it the water planet. It is. It's a blue planet. It's a water planet. And you see, the, like you said, you see all the oceans in the blue. And then you look up in the sky and, and you see water there too, big, white, puffy clouds made of water or gigantic water crystals deposited at the poles. You know, it's interesting for people who are interested in the idea of crystals and the resonance of different crystals and the frequencies emitted by different crystals, it's interesting to note that the largest crystals on this planet are the water crystals that sit on either pole of the Earth. Mm. And they're not just inert, frozen ice cubes. They're actually frequency emitters, emit, you know, they're emitting the frequency of dihydrogen oxide. It's solid-state water. Wow, right. Now, we can talk for a long time on this, but for this segment, we're out of time. So I just want to encourage people to check out your information online. Search for Daniel Vitalis, folks, on YouTube and learn more. You can tell we've just scratched the surface. Daniel has a lot more to teach us about our relationship with water and all liquids. So check that out. And thank you, Daniel, for joining me on the show today. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, take care, folks. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, so Daniel, to continue this conversation now for Natural News readers and listeners, where do you think this is all heading? I mean, are we reaching a very, you said a vital time. Are we potentially heading into a dangerous time unless we transcend what's happening with water on our world today? It's critical right now. It's, these are critical times. It's the best of time and the worst of times. Mexico City sinking. 
because the aquifers have been drained, the children on the borders of Mexico and the U.S. are being fed Coca-Cola and Pepsi because it's cheaper than water. The water barons have taken over the whole industry so that the largest suppliers of drinking water are now Coca-Cola and Pepsi. These are critical times. There's no question the wars of now and the future are becoming about water. Um, yes, it's not it's not wars. a question. Right yeah, here. water wars. You know, it's interesting to see, you know, Canada selling their water to the states, the states selling their water overseas. Water's being shipped all over the planet. Gigantic multiple acre size water balloons are dragged by tugboat across the Pacific and Atlantic Ocean to deliver fresh water from one side of the planet to the other. Water's become a thing of commerce. You know, Dr. Emoto says in his uh, third book that the word uh, abomination in Japanese is made of two characters, and those characters are two cell and water. And, you know, really the reason is because, you know, water is your blood. You know, your blood is made of water. Do you believe then that there is a basic human right to have access to water? Yeah, how, you know, for us to be working and paying to buy the substance our blood is made of, is, it comes from a very mistaken idea of our place on this planet. We are a natural part of this ecosystem, and we have a right to live here in harmony. We are not meant to buy and purchase our blood. And so what, we are at a critical point where we need to reestablish our connection to where our water comes from. You know, it's fun. To, I, I go drink out of springs. I tell people that, and sometimes people will say, yeah, but it comes out of the ground. What, so, afraid of that? Yeah, like our water, you know, like <laughs> our you know, water comes out of the ground, and we, it's time for us to reestablish our connection to that. Oh, my goodness. So they want it to come out of the tap? Yeah, we're very used to that, right? We're used to what appears to be sanitary conditions. And so, right, lead pipes. <laughs> <laughs> right, and copper pipes. You know, copper, you know, water's a solvent, so it picks up whatever. It's a very powerful solvent, in fact. So it picks up whatever it's in, and it picks up, you know, copper from copper pipes. And copper in the brain causes ADHD. Water picks up plastics when it's in plastics, and they act as you know hormones in the body, ups upsetting the endocrine systems. Yeah, that's the scary part. And it's also that you know that the chemicals that they use to glue together the PVC pipes in your house, that stuff gets into the water too. That's the scary stuff. So we're introducing a lot of xeno kind of chemicals, xeno um, endocrine molecules into our bodies. These plastics that you know, plastics. Interestingly, plastics come from fossils. Fossils are not quite what we've been told they are. For instance, if a deer dies in the woods, it does not become a fossil. It simply rots away completely. In order to create a fossil, one must bury many, 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 many organisms together under a, quite a bit of pressure. So what it appears is that all the fossil fuels here are the remains of a past age of the Earth when there was another ecosystem, a different ecosystem, that was literally buried and pressurized and turned into coal and oil. So what we're doing is we're mining up remains of the dead bodies of the last cataclysm of this Earth and we're burning it and driving ourselves to the next cataclysm. It appears the last cataclysm was water-based. It appears it was a kind of a flood, and that's what most mythologies from most cultures tell us, is mm -hmm. that it was a flood, it was a water uh, cataclysm. The Mayans say that the next cataclysm is going to be fire. Also, the Christians say that as well in the, in the Bible. It's, it's, it's interesting because what we're seeing is a cataclysm coming our way due to overheating and a fear of water that is subconsciously related to the last cataclysm. And I'm not wanting to admit that that's possible, that that's happened, and it happened while there were people here, and it could happen again. So I feel that there's a, a big fear of water, and in response to that, we've really almost waged war on it. Uh, unfortunately, we are water, and that means we're waging war on ourselves. Speaking of waging war, is, will there be a time in the future, if things don't change enough uh, before then, that the people will rise up and wage war against the corporations and governments that have restricted their access to water? You know, I pray that we overgrow in, instead of overthrow. 
Um, you know, because in the way the corporations are set up, you know, they franchise us. Each one of us in this country is a franchisee of this corporation of the United States. And it works on money, and it works because we give our money to them. I don't think we're going to rise up in arms as much as what, or what makes the most sense is that we stop spending and we stop buying from them and we begin to buy, you know, we go get our water from the earth. We mm -hmm. begin to get our food from the forest again. We begin to live in harmony with our ecosystems again. You know, the price of just the price of gasoline is forcing people to change their lives. And what I see is really possible is that people will be in, you know, neighborhoods where people don't even know each other who've lived there 20 years may begin to have to start working together. You know, their gardens together might have to start relying on each other a little bit more because we don't have the abundance we used to have here. And so it might be that we overgrow the government instead of overthrow the mm. government. I like that term. You hinted at the, at the whole idea of community, which has been seemingly lost, especially in food and in health. I mean, people get their food from places they've never been to. They don't even know where they are. Many people now don't even know a local source of food if the grocery store shut down, where would you go to buy food? Right. They say that if the trucks stop running, if shipping stops, food runs out in three days in almost all metropolitan areas, water even sooner. In addition to the idea of running out of fossil fuels, or you know, another thing that's looming over us is the possibility for pandemic disease. Mm -hmm. And in the case of pandemic disease, I feel very comfortable knowing that um, I'm not relying on the water department of my small town to provide my water. I know where there's natural water that I can go gather uh -huh. no matter what happens. My, I'm sure my water district is run by a few people. If those people fell suddenly ill, would I have water anymore? You know, if, would I have food anymore? So each one of us really has the opportunity now to begin to learn again how to live in harmony with the earth. Um, you know, we have an amazing amount of information available to us now, and it may not always be available to us. So while we have the, the last of the books, and while we have the beginning of this internet, let's use it to learn again the plants that we can use as medicines and foods. Let's use it to network ourselves and find the springs again so that we, if we want to change things here, it's going to come from us actually living in harmony and creating communities around this idea of sustainability and survival. How can people find these springs? Is there a, a website that lists springs in every area? It's coming, Mike. It's coming because um, what's happening is uh, there's a lot of buzz getting created around it now. And so we're beginning to catalog them and eventually we'll release a database that will detail where those springs where springs are but know that there's springs everywhere are these public springs there's a lot of them are public now there you know traditionally there's springs everywhere however when you start cutting trees down the water retreats into the earth and so that's why when you go to a spring you'll see usually there'll be a spring house built over it to create shade water retreats from sunlight when the earth is forested many springs will surface when the trees grow back the springs will surface however there are a lot of springs that are a throwback to a few generations ago. There are still available public springs where they uh, are maintained by the town or owned privately. Usually the springs I go to are right on the side of the road. You pull your car up, you get out, you fill your five-gallon bottle right from a pipe that's plugged right into the ground where the water just runs right through the pipe. These are everywhere, and what I do is I stop people on the street who are a few generations older than I am, and I'll usually ask them, hey, do you know where there's a spring, and do you remember any springs that you used to go to? Uh -huh. And very often, somebody will, uh, will be able to point me towards a spring. So that's the way I've been doing it. You can get online and start searching. You know, you can Google around with the name of your town or the, the area you're looking in looking for springs, um, but there isn't a real solid database yet. So um, please get in contact with me if you find springs, and that way, and maybe... Um, map quest the closest direction you can get closest address to that spring or get me good directions to it and we can add that to our database and that way people all over the country in north america have access to the springs that you're going to and how can people contact you again they can find me at elixircraft at gmail.com 
They can go to our website. Uh, they can also, uh, we do a lot of networking on MySpace, so they can find us there as well. So they can go to myspace.com slash elixircraft. Right, and, uh, and get in contact with me that way. And, um, and just let me know what you're finding. Um, we're really interested in getting a catalog going of all the different springs so that we, you know, because every day I'm contacted with people in different parts of the country looking for springs. And, you know, I know a lot, but I don't know them all. So I, and I'm sure there's thousands and thousands yet to be discovered. What a fantastic mission. I'm really glad you're, you're taking point on this, Daniel. And that would be a great service to the people of our world to give them back knowledge of local water. It's the solution. Well, thank you for doing that. And thanks for being my guest here on the show today. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right, folks. That's a wrap-up of the interview with Daniel Vitalis. Be sure to check out his information online, and I hope you'll agree we will invite Daniel back again in the future. Check in with his latest project and find out what he's up to. He's obviously very mindful, very deliberate in his intention, and a lot of good work ahead of Daniel in the world. So stay tuned, and we'll talk about that some future date. Take care.